0: Thanks to Health IQ for supporting today's Market Foolery. Health IQ uses science and data to secure lower rates on life insurance. To see if you qualify, go to healthiq.com/fool and take the proprietary Health IQ quiz and potentially save up to 41% on premiums. It's Monday, December 30th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me in studio for the first time in a very long time because she's been avoiding me. It's Shannon Jones. Thanks for being here.
1: Hey, glad to stop avoiding you, Chris, and glad that you invited me back in. After what? It's been at least a year. It's it,
0: no. It's been. It's less. been at
1: least a year, Chris. Really? Yes. Because we were talking about cannabis stocks a we're, year ago.
0: We're gonna remedy that in 2020. You're <laughs> going to, you're, we're gonna get you on market foolery because you know that's what the people want. They're the word is out there, Chris. We want more Shannon Judge. Um, let's start with cannabis though, because we are wrapping up 2019. And I talked a little bit with Emily Flippin a couple of weeks ago on this show. She had gone to MJ BizCon, and you look at the coverage of that, and it's and it's really from a stock perspective, it is I think the Uber narrative of the year for the cannabis industry, which is the loss of tens of billions of dollars in market cap of the biggest publicly traded cannabis companies. When you look at that as someone who analyzes stocks do you look at that and think a lot of this makes sense because there was some inflation that wasn't deserved or do you what do you think when you when you look back on 2019
1: yeah so i think you have to look at 2019 in the context of 2018 so 2018 was really the year of euphoria you hype you know, marijuana is going to take over and it's going to be a multi billion dollar industry and there's not going to be any speed bumps. 2019, though, was really the reality check year. <laughs> so, I mean, this is a, an industry that is being built from the ground up and also the infrastructure is being built from the ground up around it. So, with that, 2019 we just saw a lot of missteps. We saw the kind of bumbled rollout in Canada. Um, there were some oversupply issues in Canada. There was also lack of access to product in Canada as well. So, all of the sales expectations that we went into 2019 seeing just did not pan out.
0: Well, and th- that that goes to um, one of the things Emily talked about was when essentially you're creating an industry from whole cloth it's not just a question of creating that industry, it's the support system around it. And so, here in the U.S., among other challenges, because there is not federal legalization, Basic banking services is a challenge for so many of these businesses.
1: Yeah, and unfortunately, will continue to be a challenge, Chris. I mean, you look at the Safe Banking Act, which, you know, in 2019, it was all about, oh, the Safe Banking Act will come, and then we'll actually see these businesses get access to things like just being able to process credit card payments. But what we've seen in 2019, and I think will be interesting even heading into 2020, is a lot of these initiatives, they'll get started in Congress they'll pass through the house only to stall in the Senate of course the Senate being controlled by the Republican majority right now and so i don't see a lot of that changing as much as i would love to say hey in 2020 it's an election year things are going to be turning around at least in terms of the the regulation side of things on the federal level i don't see that happening and i think until number 1 i mean the big wild card right now is okay with the 2020 election Who's going to get elected president? If you look across the Democratic candidates right now, all but one, of course, that being Joe Biden, actually believe that we'll see some sort of um, legalization on the federal level. But even so, it ultimately comes down to the Senate. Will it remain under Republican control? If that changes, then you know we could start to see some movement on things like the Safe Banking Act, even the MORE Act, which is attempting to expunge records, also implement some sort of federal tax, um, and really deschedule, decriminalize marijuana. But I mean, until that happens, that's really the big question mark for 2020.
0: We talk every now and then about mindset for investors, and it sounds increasingly like if you're looking to invest in cannabis. More so than other industries, you have to ratchet up the amount of patience that you have in terms of your expectations. Because anytime you're dealing with the number of X factors at the federal governmental level that you just laid out, then yeah, it's, it, I mean, when we say we like to invest for, you know, five, 10, 20 years, we do. It's just that, ideally, we're investing in companies that are also offering us some type of return in the first one to five years. Um, But it seems like with cannabis, um, there will be winners, there will be rewards for investors. But uh, it's it's really got to be something where your your patience is higher than normal.
1: Yeah, I think it's patience on one hand, but also too. I mean, it's going to be slim pickings even going into 2020 because really, what we saw in 2019, we saw access to capital markets really start to dry up as we started to see a lot of the the hype and euphoria start to wane. And so you have a lot of mo- a lot of money right now that is sitting on the sidelines, not coming into the industry. You have a lot of companies really under a cash crunch. So, I think you'll continue to see into 2020 companies who won't make it, Um, but I think as long-term Foolish investors, that also gives us tremendous opportunity, because we can't afford to be patient. There are companies out there, um, segments of the market within the cannabis space that are really attractive. I'm thinking about multi-state operators. Um, there's a company called Leave. It's a multi-state operator based out of Florida. It's got about a little over 40 dispensaries, but they are planning to expand in places like Connecticut, uh, Massachusetts, California. This has been a very financially disciplined company. They're actually profitable. Um, the stock has been up year-to-date. I mean, they have been one of the bright spots in a lot that's been happening, but I think multi-state operators right now have kind of been thrown out with all the other bigger names that have really had a very very, very tough year. I think that's one space to look at for long-term investors. Another space, Chris, that I think is really interesting are just some of the other picks and shovels plays. So I'm thinking about companies like n They make dehydration technology. We know a lot of these companies are trying to bring down the cost of production in cannabis. This is a company that's really expediting that entire process by helping them to dehydrate the plant. Um, so that's another one that I really like. Valens Grow Works. They're an extractor. Uh, Emily and I had a chance to interview the someone from their management team. Really impressed by their strategy and their place within the derivatives market. So Canada recently legalized derivatives. So we're talking about your edibles, your cannabis-infused beverages. This is a company that's I think really going to be shaping what that looks like. So I'd say, if you're a foolish long-term investor, think about picks and shovels plays, and also think about, on the U.S. side, the multi-state operators.
0: Should we expect to see, it, certainly in 2020, but maybe even for a year or two after that, consolidation here in the U.S.? It just seems like some of these smaller companies really can't sustain themselves.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, there's—it's only a matter of time before we start to see even more headlines with that heading into to 2020. Um, and I think it's—it's it's not even just among the cannabis players. I mean, consumer packaged goods companies are really seeing this as an opportune time, especially now that valuations have pretty much been cut in half. Sometimes 75 percent or more for a lot of these companies. So yes, I think you'll continue to see consolidation you'll continue to see partnerships and you'll continue to see consumer packaged goods companies coming into play as well.
0: All right, you touched on healthcare. I want to get to that in just a second. But first, quick shout out to Health IQ. If you're a runner or cyclist, uh, you're into CrossFit, even if you're just a weekend warrior type, you deserve to be rewarded for your hard work with more affordable life insurance rates. That's where Health IQ comes in. They can save you up to 41% because physically active people have significantly lower risks for heart disease, cancer, and diabetes. But these savings are exclusive to Health IQ. You won't find them anywhere else, and you must qualify to get a special rate. So how do you do that? Glad you asked. You go to healthIQ.com/fool, take the proprietary health IQ quiz, and depending on your score, as well as other related qualifying factors, you can save up to 41% on your life insurance premiums compared to other providers. Again, that's healthIQ.com/fool. Healthcare, as an industry, is enormous. And if I were just to ask you, um, what are your five biggest healthcare stories of 2019? I could probably just you know go get a sandwich, and you could, <laughs> because of all of the things that have gone on in healthcare this year. I'm not going to do that, but I'm curious um, when you think back on 2019. Um what stands out to you, whether it's individual stories involving individual companies or trends?
1: Yes, gosh, there's so much to cover in the healthcare space, but I will give you kind of the, the biggies. So I think first and foremost, 2019 and really into 2020 is about personalized medicine, precision medicine, and in particular if you're an investor, you're gonna be looking at the cancer space. Cancer, second leading cause of death globally. By 2033, researchers are expecting 21 million new cases. This is a huge, huge area. Um, But there was a report, I believe released just yesterday, from Evaluate Pharma. Um, For 2020, eight drugs are expected to generate over a $1 billion in sales in 2020. Guess how many of those are for cancer drugs? Just guess.
0: I'm going to say at least half.
1: You're exactly right. Half of those drugs are just for cancer care. So, these are companies like Merck, a big biopharma company. They've got their big blockbuster drug, Keytruda. Uh, Bristol-Myers Squibb, of course, they did the acquisition with Celdrine. Now, they're an even more formidable foe in cancer care as well. So, that's one area that I think all healthcare investors should be watching is oncology. Another one, Chris? The gene. Okay, so we saw over the last year, really over the past two to three years, so much focus on gene editing. Some for the good, some for the bad, um, and it's still really, really early for companies like CRISPR Therapeutics, which is really kind of being seen as the pioneer in the gene editing space. But um, it's still very early. We just got some early data with their partnership with Vertex Pharmaceuticals that was encouraging. But I'd say for investors, you know, don't. Don't focus so much on really early-stage data, because we're still years out from being able to invest confidently in those spaces, but I do think there are opportunities, especially like with diagnostics and gene sequencing. Here at The full, of course, Illumina is a big one, but I guess for our listeners, I'll also throw out a company called Garden Health. They've carved out a niche in diagnostics and specifically in cancer care. Um, This is a company that has just been Exploding, they're the leading provider of something called liquid biopsies, and I see your face, Chris, because I think you're getting ready to say Theranos. I will say this is not of the Theranos variety.
0: I wasn't going to say
1: that. You were going to say that.
0: <laughs> I was not going to talk about Theranos. Yes, but go you on. were.
1: But this is a company that's actually doing it, Chris. And um, of course, liquid biopsies—it's an alternative to the more invasive and uh, really painful biopsies for cancer care, but they've got a method to draw blood, find and analyze on the genetic level the tumor DNA that circulates in the blood. So, they've got a number of different tests out there. We've talked about it on the Industry Focused Healthcare show, so I won't go too far into that. But this is a stock, I mean, it's just been um, exploding. And I'd even say for their revenue, revenue up 181%. $61 To sixty-one million dollars in their last quarter. This is a company that's actually doing what Theranos wanted to do, and they're doing it in a smart way.
0: Let me go back to a couple of the companies you mentioned because you name-checked, you know, sort of the the big ones like Merck, Bristol Myers, Squibb. Um, there was a long stretch of time where any investment you made in the big pharma companies was going to pay off for you as an investor, and then. I haven't run the numbers exactly, but it seemed like there was just as long a time, or, you know, roughly as long a time, where it was a really stagnant business, um, as a group. They just weren't doing well for investors. Um, is the pendulum swinging back the other way?
1: Absolutely. And I think it's because they're shifting away from a lot of those Me Too generic products, right? Um, Those were easy to get to market, but they really didn't make sense in terms of the economics for investors. But what we're seeing is the infrastructure. The FDA is really incentivizing companies to go after high unmet need areas they're getting through their approval timelines faster, um, they're giving more exclusivity to protect them from you know, competitors coming onto the market. So, these companies now are shifting or they're acquiring companies who are really focused on personalized medicine and even more so high unmet need opportunities.
0: I'm going to put you on the spot with this. Um, for a lot of people, and I'm going to include myself in this group, um, when we're thinking about investing in any kind of drug, drug manufacturer, any kind of pharmaceutical company, um, invariably we are all faced with, at some point in that process, whether we're doing the research on our own or we're working with an advisor who's sort of laying out the case for this is why you should think about investing in this stock. At some point, we are faced with trying to process what this company's relationship with the FDA is. And you've already touched on this a little bit, but what is one tip you can give investors in in terms of separating the more promising opportunities from the red flags? Because again, anyone who's ever looked at a drug stock, you're either reading or hearing from someone like, "Well, here's the thing: Um, they're at stage two. They're they're, you know, uh, in the next six months, we think they're going to be going. You know, and it's like, okay." I'm not an expert in the FDA. And we've seen, we've kind of seen it cut both ways in terms of extremes. We've seen over the last few years stocks that have dropped 30% in a single day because a late stage drug completely fell through. And then we've seen other stocks pop 30% because they just, you know, they made an announcement or they just made it. Past the first hurdle. How do you process all of this?
1: Yeah, that's a great question and probably one not easily answered. But I will say um, it is harder to do that nowadays for a number of different reasons. Really? Yes.
0: God, I was hoping it was going to be easier.
1: <laughs> one, because of what you mentioned, Chris. I mean, just getting through the approval timeline is hard, it's challenging. I think, believe it's like 90% of drugs don't even make it through to approval. But that's not the end. And what we're seeing more and more of moving forward is, even if you get to approval, now your drug has to be commercially viable. People have to want to prescribe it, and patients have to want to take it, and insurers have to want to pay for it. Those are all factors that are a huge part of it. So, it's really not even just the FDA. We've seen a lot of companies that have done very well, got a drug onto the market. I remember my first investment was in a company, unfortunately, um, that didn't make it in terms of the commercial viability but they made it through to approval. So, I'd say the FDA is one aspect for that, but if you're an investor in this space, what you really want to focus on even if you're not going to get into all the clinical data, which I think you should, um but even if you're not going to focus on that is okay, what is the market opportunity for this drug? Is this a market opportunity where the company is going to have some pricing power, get some exclusivity, either from the FDA or from their patent being exclusive for longer to hold off competition? And then, two, I mean, just think about it: if I have to inject myself every day on my own with a needle, what's the likelihood? Especially if I don't have any symptoms, what's the likelihood as a patient that they're actually going to do that? Is probably pretty low. So I think for everyday investors out there, just take a step back, think about what is the market opportunity, how can they price it? If you're talking about a million-dollar price tag, I know payers aren't going to pay for that, patients probably are going to take it if it's an injection. Think about it from a very practical standpoint and start there.
0: Last thing before I let you go. Um, You're a longtime host on Industry Focus. Uh, Anyone who listens to Industry Focus um, has benefited from your hosting uh, the Wednesday Healthcare episode. And for those who have already listened to Industry Focus, they now know the news that you're moving on. Um, And so uh, I basically called you in here to uh, yell at you because I'm angry (laughs) that you're moving on.
1: Yeah, very bittersweet, Chris. I mean, the Industry focused Healthcare uh, podcast every week is has really been my baby, my heart. Um, but there's a lot of things happening here at The Motley Fool. There Bowl. certainly are. And uh, uh, earlier this year, I did take on the role of Director of Programming for Tom Gardner's Discovery Suite of Services. And as you can imagine, that that is a full-time job times two. And growing. <laughs> and, gr- gr- and growing. And so, growing as well. So, I will say, um, that doesn't mean I'll be going away anywhere. I mean, I'll hopefully be in the studio giving some updates, especially some of the more notable ones, but also to like Todd Campbell, Brian that you have been guests. They'll also be showing up on the industry focus uh, podcast, just in different areas and maybe a little less frequently.
0: All right. And I'll get you in here for Market more than once a year.
1: We'll see. <laughs> I won't hold my breath, Chris.
0: <laughs> Shannon Jones, always good talking to you. Always fun. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, in The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.